0: Open up your Bibles, if you would, to Mark chapter 1. If you're still learning your way around the Bible, there is an Old Testament and a New Testament, and Mark is in the New Testament. The New Testament starts with Matthew, there's Matthew, and then Mark. Mark, interestingly enough, was written by a guy named Mark. Who would have known, right? So, but anyway, a lot of people believe, a lot of theologians believe, that he actually traveled with the Apostle Peter, and that really he was just writing down the things that Peter told him to write down, Peter being an eyewitness of Jesus. And of his ministry, and and uh, being, you know, f- uh, living with Jesus for three years, uh, you know, as a, as a, as he followed him, journeyed with him, uh, at, uh, just before, and then saw him in the resurrection. And so, uh, you know, this is pretty cool. We have a historical account of what took place. You know, this series called "The Challenge." Every week, we've tried to give ourselves something. To challenge us. You know, the very first one we started out with was that for the month of March that people would keep attending and you guys did great, man. I mean, it, uh, you know, it, it actually surpassed my expectations. You know, typically in March, like, you know, time change and spring break are attendance killers and you guys just, you rocked it. And we talked about praying and having, you know, a quiet time. And, and we talked about, uh, you know, last week just about going uh, you know, t- uh, transitioning our agenda from, from being a consumer to somebody that's got ownership and taking up our cross and following Jesus. And so, you know, today I want to talk to you about the power of inviting. Now, that may not really grab you or appeal to you for just uh, at first, but as we get into this, I believe when you begin to see the power of it, it's going to stir something up on the inside of you. So, in Mark chapter 1, it says this, verse 16, Mark one sixteen. it says, One day as Jesus was walking along the shore of the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and his brother Andrew throwing a net into the water, for they fished for a living. How many of you, how many of you people have already connected with these guys because they fish like, so those, those disciples, they were fishermen? They're my kind of people. Let's see hands in here that, that like that. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Some people don't have their hand raised because they're at the lake right now. But anyway, it says, um, <laughs> um, it says, Jesus called out to them, come follow me and I will show you how to fish for people. Come follow me. Follow me. And I will show you how to fish for people. And they left their nets at once and followed him. A little farther up the shore, Jesus saw Zebedee's sons, James and John, in a boat repairing their nets. He called them at once and they also followed him, leaving their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired men. So right here, Jesus is around 30 years old. We see the beginning of his ministry. And he's beginning to gather his disciples with him, people that he's going to entrust with the things that he's called to do once he's resurrected and ascends back into heaven. And so it's interesting that the very first people that he called to him were not religious scholars. They weren't priests from the tabernacle or anything like that. They were just kind of common everyday guys that were out fishing in the family business. And he said, hey, follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. I think it's interesting that one of the things I love about this, that even the context in which his call took place was connected to who they were. You know, one of the things sometimes I think that happens is that when we tell people, hey, man, receive Jesus, that our thoughts are that, well, you know, that he's going to make us be somebody other than who we are. And the one thing that changes with us is the fact that we surrender our will to him. In other words, he may change the way that we do relationships or he may change the way that we treat each other or the way that I respond to my irritations. But he still wants to use you. He wants to use you, who you are. You know, if you're an introvert, then give that to him. If you're an extrovert, give that to him. What, whatever it is that's you about you, he wants to use you. And so he said to these guys who were fishermen, he said, look, he said, if you follow me, I'm going to make you fishers of men. Now, I will tell you that one of the things I think that's happened in the church and the body of Christ in our present day is that, that this has really dwindled. It's kind of disappeared as a personal responsibility among believers. And yet I think it's one of the most important things we're called to do in our relationship is to be people that are fishers, that we're fishers of men, fishers of humanity, and so, I think mean, that's one of the things we're called to do. And so, Jesus said this. And when I read this, it's, what he says to me is, is that if we follow him, as we follow him, then he makes it where we're not indifferent towards humanity. We're not indifferent towards their spiritual condition. Now, it's kind of popular in our day. There are people say from time to time... Hey, you know, man, my faith is very personal, and so I don't really tell it with other people. Well, and I, and I understand, and, I, and you know, if we disagree, it's okay. We can still be friends, but I'm just going to clearly tell you, I believe you're wrong. I think you're wrong. I love you, and you may think I'm wrong, and I hope you love me. But I think you're wrong. I, 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 think, I think you've missed the mark. And, and again, I'm not throwing stones at you or judging you or anything like that. It's just I disagree with your stance on that. Because he said that these guys, if they began to follow him, the one thing that would take place in their life is that all of a sudden this would be a concern of theirs. I shared in one of the services, I don't remember if it was this one or not, but um, where I saw this girl had posted a TikTok and she's not a believer. And she was just railing on the church, man. I'm not talking about this church, but the church as a whole. Just railing on the church for going into Ukraine. And, I mean, and I'm amazed at people that never go to church how much they seem to know about church. You know, I'm sure coaches can relate to that and teachers can relate to that. But anyway, um, you know, and so, you know, she was like, but I was like, does she realize that usually when the church shows up, it doesn't show up empty-handed. It brings help. Not just in the message we have, which is the most important thing. I think mean, it's interesting. Whenever they lowered that guy, there was a guy that, that was brought to Jesus. His friends lowered him. He was paralyzed uh, from the neck down, he was, he was paralyzed. And the very first thing that Jesus did was look at him and say, your sins are forgiven. And can you imagine if she'd have been there, what her TikTok would have said? Who does Jesus think he is telling this paralyzed guy that his sins are forgiven? And he goes, oh, wait, I'm not through yet. Wait, hang on just a minute. Get up and walk. Oh. <laughs> so, so to understand this, that, that you know, that, I mean, so the church doesn't show up any, you know, I, I remember when I was doing student ministry in New Mexico and we were going to go to an orphanage, too, in Juarez. And, and, man, it was just a great place. They were loving on kids, ministering to kids. And when we went there, we, you know, our goal was to, to love on them and tell them about Jesus. But also, we knew that, you know, little kids in Mexico, man, soccer is a big thing to them. They mistakenly call it football there, but it's soccer. And so, um, um, and, and so, <laughs> so we took a bunch of soccer balls and, you know, just uh, cleats and stuff like that for the kids to play in, you know, and just different things where they could play because, because, you know, we, we love them. We didn't show up empty-handed. We also brought things that, they, that would help sustain them, whether it was to help get them food and water and stuff like that, but even just kind of their everyday life and shared the gospel. So I believe that when we begin to follow Jesus, that whatever has taken place, is that one of the things he begins to stir up in us is this awareness of where people are at spiritually, that he doesn't allow us to be indifferent to people's spiritual condition. He's telling these guys, if you follow me, the thing you've been fishing for and pursuing, I'm gonna add something to that. You're gonna to begin to fish for humanity. So we're called to do that. If you're taking notes, number one is this is that when we follow Jesus, we care about people's spiritual condition we follow him, that that begins to matter to us. You know, I've shared with you my own, you know, areas that I struggle in that feel kind of petty to me. And sometimes in the middle of it, it, you know, I'm not behaving like it's a petty thing. I'm I'm behaving like they want one of my kidneys or something like that. And so, but after it's all, like, yeah, it's kind of dumb to get that twisted about that. But one of the things that bothers me sometimes when I'm in that situation is like, I hope I didn't sacrifice or forfeit the opportunity that I would have to tell them about Jesus, to invite them to meet him. And so I, I just, I know from personal experience, and, and I hope for all of us, myself included, that we're stirred up a little bit today. That there's something that the Holy Spirit does on the inside of us that, that stirs us up and maybe convicts us and kind of reawakens us to part of God's call in our life. That as we journey here, as we embrace whatever time we have to to reach people, I, you know, I think it's, you know, phase two at some point is going to involve our preschool and our children. And one of the reasons uh, of our construction, one of the reasons why that is, is because that the greatest number of people that give their lives to Jesus do so before they're 18. I like to fish. I've got a cousin named Early. He's a lot older than me. And he'll take me crappie fishing sometimes. And he doesn't spend a lot of time in a crappie hole. If we, if we drop our line like five minutes and nothing's hit, we move to another crappie hole. I've said before to you guys, I've told him, I'm like, Earl, I don't think the fish even know we're here yet. You know, and so I mean, and so we're, we're going to another place because he's like, if I'm going to fish, we're going to go where the fishing is good. And so if we're called to fish for people, then the place that we want to invest our resources is in that area. We love kids around here, and you're going to see, man, we're going to, we're going to reach kids. There's going to be, we, we, we already do, we're going to continue to do that and reach students as we do with Pastor Mike and Katie and that type of thing. We're just blessed to have that, that, but that's because Jesus has called us to fish for humanity, to be aware of people's spiritual condition, to not be indifferent to it. Do they know Jesus? That's really the great question, right? I mean, Jesus asks his followers, who do people say that I am? But then he asks the question, who do you say that I am? It's the most important, it's the most important question we'll answer in our lifetime. It's more important than who I'll marry. It's more important than what I'll do for a living or, or how I'll spend my time or whatever. The most important question I'll answer is, who is Jesus to me? And we're called to, to engage in people's lives. Not to preach at them, but to engage in their life and to connect to them. And, and as opportunity is given to reveal the good news to them. So number one is this, is the reason why, uh, you know, that we, that the power of inviting, that when we follow Jesus, we care about people's spiritual condition. Look at number two, if you would. Go with me, if you would, to John chapter 1. You're in Mark Two books over is John. John chapter 1, verse 40. John chapter 1, verse 40 says this. Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, was one of these men who heard what John said and then followed Jesus. So just before this, John the Baptist was standing there, and Jesus walked by, and John the Baptist said, hey, look, man, it's the, it's the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. And there was Andrew and another guy that were disciples of John the Baptist, and the minute that John the Baptist said that, they left John the Baptist and began to follow Jesus. And you know, Jesus was like, you know, what are you? Said, well, come with me. And so it says that they heard what John said, and they followed Jesus. Andrew went to find his brother Simon and told him, we have found the Messiah, which means Christ. Then Andrew brought Simon to meet Jesus. Looking intently at Simon, Jesus said, Your name is Simon, son of John, but you will be called Cephas, which means Peter. So, so again, look, he brought Simon to meet Jesus. Everybody say, meet Jesus. meet Jesus. That's what he brought him there for. The next day, Jesus decided to go to Galilee. He found Philip and said to him, Come follow me. Philip was from Bethsaida, in Andrew and Peter's hometown. Philip went to look for Nathaniel and told him, We found the very person Moses and the prophets wrote about. His name is Jesus, the son of Jesus, I'm sorry, the son of Joseph from Nazareth. And Nazareth exclaimed, Nathaniel, can anything good come from Nazareth? You know, so I mean, apparently whatever was going on, there was just that feeling. I mean, I get it. You know, Jesus from Texas. I'd be like, Texas? Can anything good come from Texas? So, you know, I mean, I get that feeling. And so, um, I, I, love, I love Texas. Anyway, so, so he said, can anything good come from uh, Nazareth? And then he said this. He said, come and see. Everybody say, come and see. Come and see, come and see for yourself, Philip replied. So here's what I want you to see is that, is that the invitation, wherever they took them, that the ultimate goal was for them to meet Jesus. And so like here in a little bit, I'm going to give you a challenge as far as inviting people to, you know, uh, our Easter weekend and that type of thing. And even though, the, you know, one of the reasons why you'll bring them here is because we're going to tell them about Jesus. Let me just say this. And, and I think you get this. And I hope, you know, I mean, surely you get this. That in my perfect world, anybody that came here would stay here. But that's just not God's plan for everybody. That there's other good churches in the area, and for whatever reason, sometimes he's like, I need you here, or you need to be at that place, or whatever. And so that's okay. At the end of the day, more important than whether or not they're here, at the end of the day, the most important thing is, do they know Jesus? That's more important than, did they attend Cedar Point regularly? All right? And so, in inviting them, our ultimate goal is to introduce them to a real relationship with Jesus. And so, in introducing them to a real relationship with Jesus, that's what we're just, So, they, these disciples, or these guys said to their family members, come see for yourself. I want you to come see. I've shared this illustration before. You know, uh, know, one of my favorite verses says, taste and see that the Lord is good. In other words, it means taste and see for yourself. And I shared this one time where I said, you know, that that if you've never had a Snickers bar, and I tried to describe a Snickers bar, how it tastes for you, it would not do it justice. I would have to say, here, you need to taste the Snickers bar and discover for yourself that Snickers are always the will of God. And so you just need to know that. On your own, you know, and so I, I, I shared that once before, and, and Neoma, who's teaching one of our little kids' class, uh, one Sunday, she brought all these little kids up to me, handed me Snickers bars, and I'm sure they were like, this one little girl, she was crying. She did not want to give me their Snickers bar. She probably looked at me and goes, that brother don't need no more Snickers bars, and so, um, and so you know, I mean, she wanted, she wanted to hang on to it. But, there, but there's just something about that in our relationship with God, is that, is that inviting that our desire to invite is to invite them to taste and see for themselves. To, to meet Jesus themselves. Hey, come, come and see. Come and see. I, I want you to see. I want, I want you to experience. I want you to taste. I want you to have an encounter with him. He's For whatever reason, he's brought you to my thoughts and brought you to my mind. And, and, you know, and, and, you know, and part of the challenge is, is that, is that we never know, you know, sometimes those opportunities are obvious. There have been times where I've had that conversation, I've been incredibly intentional. Where I've said, you know, where I knew I'm going to go talk to this person. I love them. They, they matter to me. God's put them on my heart, man. They've started, I've been stirred up to, to just sit down and let them know, you know, about God's plan for their life. And that, you know, that he's pursuing them. And then there's other times without even a thought of that's what's going to take place. I, I have an encounter with them, and one thing leads to another and the next thing you know, Man, God's just doing this great thing. And sometimes, you know, the beginning of it is not always a good thing. I, <laughs> several, uh, I, I've shared this some before, but several years ago, we, we just started the church, and my dad had been sick like a year he past here before we started the church, and so we're going through this really hard season, and, and it was about the time that I'd be teaching my oldest son to drive, but instead of doing that, I'm driving back and forth. We lived in New Mexico at that time, from New Mexico to here, and, and so... I was dealing with some guilt. And so we moved here. And so, you know, later than he wanted to, he's finally, you know, I'm, we're finally working on him driving and that kind of thing. And we're driving one day, and, um, and he, uh, this, this, he and this guy almost hit each other. Well, the guy, you know, had, you know, they had a confrontation. And, and because it's my son and because I'm an idiot, I got out, and I, I, I picked up the conversation. I, I was like, tag me in. And so... Um, and so, you know, he and I had a very we had a, we had a really frank conversation that day, and um, uh, you know, and so <laughs> I, I left um, after you know we um, communicated, and so um, you know, it was just one of those things. I was, you know, and afterwards, after you kind of cool off, I'm like, I yeah, was so stupid, man. I was, I was really embarrassed. And so, a couple of years later, I, I was sitting there, and at the door, uh, this couple comes in, and uh, or so this guy comes in. And my middle son, Daniel, goes, hey, do you know who that is? And I said, no. He said, that's the guy that you guys had that altercation. I'm like, really? <laughs> Great. So I thought, so he doesn't sit back in the shadows. He sits like on the front row in the middle. And my first thought is, like, did he find out, you know, I'm a pastor. And he's like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tell everybody what an idiot you were that day. And I'm like, yeah, well, you may not be a pastor, but we were both idiots, you know. So I mean... And so, but he came back to no nothing happened, came back the next week, came back the next week, and finally as he's walking out one day, I said, Hey man, I, I gotta talk to you. I said, look, a few years ago we had this encounter I did not I s I didn't I didn't act appropriately. I'm I'm just so sorry. Please forgive me. Thank you for continuing to come. And he was very gracious. He was like, I don't I don't really remember that, but he said, I know me, and he said, it's pretty pretty good possibility it was two-sided, and I was like, well, it was. But um <laughs> so um <laughs> and you know, and and so, so like last year around Christmas, I'm walking, in, uh, I'm, I'm walking around the store, Reesers, and and this couple, this lady goes, "Are you Pastor Burke?" And I'm like, "Oh yeah," and she goes, "We watch you every Sunday," and so the guy turns around and he goes, "Hey, tell her how we met," and I'm like, <laughs> "We we were both having driving lessons, and uh, yeah." And why don't you tell her? (laughs) But it was a moment, you know, as it began, it had no promise for anything. But, you know, sometimes God, God gives you redo's. And when you get a chance, you got to seize those redos. And, and you know, and both of us, I'm grateful. He was, you know, he operated humility. I, I believe I operated humility, you know, and, and, um, and he said, hey, when, you know, when we, we get comfortable things get settled, you'll see us again. And he and I talked a, a couple weeks ago and, uh, he, you know, he's ready to start coming back. And I, but I just thought that was a moment in the beginning that I thought there's no way that we'll have an opportunity to, to have an encounter with Jesus together. But I, I think sometimes that, because God loves people so much that if we operate in humility, he'll move past our brokenness and allow us to have encounters again where whatever failed area we had, we're able to recover. But we're called to introduce people. If you're taking notes number two is this, is that the ultimate goal of an invite is to introduce people to a real relationship with Jesus. Here in a little bit, we're gonna give you a challenge. Say, bring people here, but it's not ultimately so they get to know Cedar Point. It's so they get introduced to Jesus because He's the story changer. He's the one that brings about real change. He's the one that died for me. He's the one that was raised again from the dead. He's the one that took all of my sin, all of my brokenness, every short sighted, petty aspect of who I am, He took upon Himself. And so, as much as I love the local church, and not just this one, but the local church in general, there's not a person you'll find that loves the local church more than me, man. If you're critical of the local church, we'll fight. I'll argue with you. I'll stand up for it. Yes, it's a mess, but it's God's mess. It's not yours. It's his. And so, so I'll fight for and stand up. But at the end of the day, it's not the hope of your life. Jesus is. He's manifested in the local church, but he's the hope of the world. And he's the hope of my life. And he's the hope of your life as well. And so we're called to do that. It's, it's just, I, I posted something on my social media by uh, Matt Chandler said, because it's just so cool right now to put down the local church and Christians. And he said this, he said, you know, the disciples didn't quit following Jesus because of Judas. They didn't look at him and go, man, I'm, you know, do you see what Judas did? I'm not following Jesus anymore. And I think sometimes, man, people are looking for a way out. And instead of blaming themselves and saying, I just kind of want to do my own thing, they're pointing fingers, man, stand up and own it. It's like, you know, it's like Joshua said, man, if God's God, then serve him. So we're called to do that. But one of the reasons why we invite is because we want to introduce people to a real relationship with Jesus. Come and see for yourself. Come and see for yourself what we're called to do. So the ultimate goal of an invite is to introduce people to a real relationship with Jesus. Look at Luke 14. That's the book right before John. Luke was a... He was, not, he was the only non-Jewish guy to write one of the Gospels. He was a doctor, and he actually wrote Acts as well. He traveled with Paul. And so Luke 14, verse 15, Jesus tells this story. And it says this, Hearing this, a man sitting at the table with Jesus exclaimed, What a blessing it will be to attend a banquet in the kingdom of God. In man, the guy was just something Jesus had stirred him up, and he said, it'll be so cool to attend a banquet in the kingdom of God. Jesus replied with this story. A man prepared a great feast and sent out many invitations. Everybody say many. When the banquet was ready, he sent his servant to tell the guests, come, the banquet is ready. But they all began making excuses. One said, I've just bought a field and must inspect it. Please excuse me. Another said, I had just bought five pairs of oxen and I want to try them out. Please excuse me. Another said, I just got married, so I can't come. The, the servant returned and told his master what they had said. His master was furious and said, Go quickly into the streets and alleys of the town and invite. Everybody say invite. I invite the poor, the crippled, the blind, and the lame. After the servant had done this, he reported, There's still room for more. There's still room for more. And Jesus said, okay, that's a good enough thing because we don't want people to be crowded. Oh, no, that's not what he said. So his master said, go out into the country lanes and behind the hedges and urge anyone you find to come so that the house will be full. Everybody say full. Oh. For none of those I first invited will get even the smallest taste of my banquet. So right here we see Jesus He's telling this story, and it's in comparison to the kingdom of God. In other words, this is how the kingdom of God works. This is how the Father thinks. And that is, he said, go and invite. And and here's the thing we have to understand. The audience that he was talking to at that time, because God was working, you know, he was revealing his covenant and his promises to humanity through the Jewish people, they had become very exclusive in mindset, kind of a country club mentality. Matter of fact, they wouldn't go into Gentiles' homes. They would refer to Gentiles as dogs. And so they were missing the market, as we all do, as we all have, right? And so they were invited, but many of them wouldn't come. So Jesus began to give him you know, the, the man at the banquet, which is a reflection of God the Father. They began to give invitations of people to come, come to the banquet, go get them. Well, they did. They sent out the first wave, and people showed up, but still the house still wasn't full. So then he said, go on the highways and the byways and the hedges. You know, invite those that, that are difficult to reach. Invite those that aren't welcomed everywhere. I've shared with you before that after about three years of ministry in youth ministry, I was so frustrated because we weren't growing. And I had all these pictures and dreams of wanting us to reach students. And we just, we just weren't. And I remember I had this God thought. You've had them before. You may not realize it where it's really God gives you a thought. And it's, and it's, you know, it's something that you really weren't thinking. You have to know it's from him. It was the Holy Spirit speaking. It was a God thought. And I had this God thought. And it was like this Rick If you'll reach people that nobody's waiting in line to reach, and if you'll love people that nobody's waiting in line to love, I'll help you reach people for me. And it was one of those things that transformed me, and it changed me, that God thought change me. And so it was like one of those, in my own life, to just reveal, everybody's welcome, because I know this. I know this, that every person I encounter and stand in front of, that Jesus died for. Not just the people that look like me, Not just the people that think like me. Not just the people that that speak the same language I do. He died for everybody. And so I have an obligation to take this message and invite them to see Jesus for themselves. The Apostle Paul in Romans chapter 1, Romans 1 verse 16, he said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel for it's the power of God unto salvation to the Jew first and also to the Gentile. But he said something else in there. He said, I'm indebted. I'm a debtor to tell. I'm indebted to tell people about the gospel. I have an obligation. Because of what Jesus has done for me, I'm obligated to tell others about them. Why? Because just like me, without Jesus, they're lost. We're obligated to do that. So, so you know, the, the master, when he, when he had this banquet, he said, keep going, he said, so that my house may be full. If you're taking notes, number three is this is that an empty seat is a big deal to God. An empty seat's a big deal to God. He's not an end And here's why. It's not so numbers can be elevated and pumped up. It's because every seat represents a story. That in here, that, that every seat that has a human being in it, that you have a story, you have a story of your childhood and what that was like. Of whether it was traumatic, whether it was hard, what brokenness you dealt with. Of the mistakes you've made, of the things that were done to you of how it shaped you and, and the fears and insecurities it created in your life. And so as a result, it's impacted the decisions you make or what you were introduced to at a young age. Maybe you struggle with addiction today because of things that were put before you and you were forced to make decisions at an age that most of us aren't, aren't you know, forced to make. We'll, we'll talk more about the glass slipper, but, you know, the, uh, next week, but the glass slipper, man, that uh, served about almost 200 uh, young ladies with dresses. And we can't, yeah, it's awesome, man. I mean... And we obviously can't tell you the names of organizations or people or whatever, but they had a couple of ladies in this last month that have come in that were rescued from trafficking. Did you hear what I said? They were rescued from trafficking. And so we had an opportunity to minister to them. I remember that one person asked them about, you know, are these shoes going to fit you? Are they, they going to hurt? And they said, after what I've been through, this is nothing. Teenage girl that Jesus died for. Your story matters. Maybe that's not your story. You know? I, mean, I used to hear stories like that and feel kind of guilty because I hadn't done anything real bad. I'm like, maybe i got to go knock off some convenience stores and then I'll have a great story. But no. Just because I haven't robbed anybody doesn't mean that I'm not broken. Doesn't mean I don't need Jesus. And so we, we encounter him and when people are here, they get to encounter The presence of God and the people of God. And not because the people of God are perfect. You get to encounter this community that gathers together recognizing that we have this in common. That we all have elements of brokenness in our life. Even if they're not the same thing, they're still broken. And that the only answer for that is Jesus. He's the only solution for it. And so he said, gather, invite them in so that the house may be full. Because an empty seat is a big deal to God. It's, it's a story that has yet to be rescued, that has yet to encounter the story changer, that has yet to see their story changed by being introduced to Jesus. I want to I share just as we close a few stories with you. I want to show you this picture right here. That is Ashley Tankersley. Before she was Ashley Tankersley, that was Ashley Burke at that time. And so... When we first moved here, she was in the seventh grade. And so she was excited. We, you know, we, I'm from here, but all of my kids were born in Clovis, New Mexico. And so that was all they'd known. That was all she'd known. We moved here. We start the church. And so she starts going. And we first started our youth group, had four kids in it. My three and Vicks Nixon. It was the Burke kids and the Nixon kid. So there was four of us. Hey, this is our youth group, these four. And so um, I remember that she came to me and she said, Dad, if, if you'll rent a van, she said, I'll fill it up. Well, she had the misfortune of the fact that I knew how much we had in our church account. And so I'm like, so I know what's in the church account, and we can, like, do that for two weeks. But if you don't fill it up in two weeks, that's how much faith I had. If you don't fill it up in two weeks, we're not going to do it anymore. And within two weeks' time, it was filled up. Matter of fact, it was so full that one Wednesday night we had to make a decision. Yeah, you can go that One Wednesday night, it was a 15-passenger van. We had more kids than that. And so we are put in a situation to do, do we take all these 15 kids? You say, what'd you do? Mind your own business. So here's the thing. So we ended up renting two vans and just filled those. But just by an invitation, kids gave their lives to Jesus. Let me show this other picture right here. This, that's Candace right there. And so Candace, um, she serves with our student ministry. She picks students up on Wednesdays and takes them home, sometimes making two trips. Two trips. Legally makes two trips. Thank you, Pastor Mike. Yeah. You guys are soft. Anyway, um, <laughs> and now she started doing the same on Sunday. She's made it her personal goal to fill up an entire row with students. And so right here, I saw this picture on her Facebook page, and she's like, I've just got one more student to fill up that row. Let's get show the next picture of her. And so this is on a, I think on a Wednesday night, the, some of the kids that uh, they stopped at Brahms afterwards. Just, just for a minute, just look at those faces. Those are stories, aren't they? Show the next picture, please. This is Bruce and Don Long. And so they go to church here, and, you know, they've shared, you know, just like all of us, when you look at their past and their history, there's elements of brokenness from their past and history. And, and, um, And so as Jesus has rescued them out of that, so them just sitting back and kind of celebrating that, they've decided to invest in other people that have brokenness. And so they're heavily engaged in the Oxford house. And so on Sunday morning, man, they'll invite as many Oxford people as they can to church with them. that good. Show the next picture, please. This is Dusty and Justin. And so, um, and they're two boys. Isn't that awesome? So I love these guys. They started coming um, when we were wrestling with whether or not, you know, to stay open or not, and they were they were just looking for a place to go. And uh, Dusty shared this story. So when my little family started, Cedar, uh, started going to Cedar Point, I had no idea how much our lives would change. My husband was 30 years old, and he spent half of his life in addiction. He never believed in God. And I was living in guilt of my past and didn't think I was ever going to have a good relationship with God again. Little did I know that the first Sunday at, at Cedar Point was uh, only the first of many that would be attending Neither of us knew that a real relation, what a real relationship with God would look like until Sunday after Sunday we were taught. We just couldn't get enough. We made a promise to each other that every Sunday morning we'd go to church. After a few months, we had family that started joining us. That was shocking because we never thought we would be going to church, let alone have family coming too. Any chance I get, I tell people about Cedar Point. About, Jesus. We, we now not only have family coming with us, but we have friends coming with us too. Since coming here and finding that relationship with God, I've declared my husband free of addiction. Any thoughts regarding that? Guess what? He's free. That was a- it. was able to happen because of my relationship with God that I never knew was possible. Because of the things I learned here, I'll continue to tell our story to people and invite them. It's a story-changing place. I want everyone everywhere to know what a relationship with God looks like. And so that's them. Here's a picture of some of the people that come with them now. Show that next picture, please. Just look at that for a minute. Look at those faces. Show the next picture, if you would, please. This is Sonny and Missy and the rest of their, you know, some of the other family, that type of thing. And so Missy wrote this. She said, we started attending the Saturday night service after being invited by a friend of ours. I was a server at Egbert's at that time which is a place Pastor Rick frequents. Thank you, Missy, for saying that. Um. <sighs> it was always a pleasure to see him, visit with him while he was there. He, he, he was generous to others. I also, so I knew Cedar Point must be a great place. After Saturday service ended, I changed my schedule because I knew we needed our church time. So this is these guys. If you don't mind, show the next picture. Then, yeah, so you go ahead and clap. Um. Had been coming, and then uh, these guys uh, started inviting uh, Sonny and Missy to um, recovery, and as a result, they started coming. Then show the next picture, and so on. Um, so some of these people were already coming, but others of them were there as a result of just that invitation. So just for just for a minute, just kind of look at each of the faces individually. And just think about what their story must be like and how an encounter with Jesus must have impacted them. Let's show the next picture. This is the Mayhans, and so it's... Um, they, they put it down as Ryan, Amber, Paisley, Parker, and Rotten Little Blake. Uh, that was not my, I did not put that in there, so that was Amber's. And so she said, we had, we'd been invited numerous times by family and friends to attend, but I always felt awkward about developing a relationship with God because I didn't grow up in church. How do I teach my kids if I have no clue what I'm doing myself? My kids wanted to go to Cedar Point Kids with their cousins, but I wanted to protect them and check it out for myself if they were going to go. One day I saw Pastor Rick at the gym. Don't worry, I wasn't working out. I saw Pastor Rick at the gym and he introduced himself and invited me to church. Such a nice guy, huh? I don't know why she put a question mark there. Anyway, so she said seeds had definitely been planted. I guess our whole family needed to go so we could do this together. Then there was a bet. Yes, a bet that I wouldn't go. I always said I would never go to church. Okay, then got to prove everyone wrong. By the way, we're not condoning betting. And so well on May 30th, Twenty twenty one, the whole Mayhan clan showed up to a ten thirty two service, and I bawled my eyes out during worship. It was a surreal experience to say the least. I didn't know our family landed right where we needed to be. Our kids loved it, fell in love with their teachers, fell in love with Jesus. And we've gained an entire family from this amazing place, all because seeds were planted, and a bet nudged me into trying it out. God has a funny way of guiding us, doesn't He? Our relationships with Jesus have grown so deep in less than a year, and we can't stop spreading the word. We say Morning affirmations and nighttime prayers. I got baptized by uh, Pastor Rick and Pastor Aaron. We serve in the church often. We attend recovery every single Monday. We've joined life groups and gained so many friends that we call family now. Would we be here without those invitations and people reaching out? Never stop planting those seeds because you never know when the growth might sprout. So, yeah. Yeah. Show the next picture. It's a little over a year ago. She didn't go to church. And here's a picture of her getting baptized to make a public declaration that she's given her life to Jesus. You guys mind to show that verse? You know the saying. Four months between planting and harvest, But I say, wake up and look around. The fields are already ripe for harvest. The harvesters are paid good wages and the fruit they harvest is people brought to eternal life. What joy awaits both the planter and the harvester alike. Wake up and look around. The fields are ripe for harvest. It's one of the most sacred things we're entrusted with. In our short time here on this planet to introduce people to a relationship with a loving God. To to let them see him even in our brokenness or through our brokenness. It's such an important thing and and we have that opportunity to do that. To be introduced to him and, and then once that happens to introduce others to him because the harvest is ripe. I want us to do this, I want us to bow our heads and close our eyes for just a minute and spend a moment with God and and just maybe there in this time right here that maybe if if you yourself have been a little distant to to just kind of reconnect with him, but then also maybe it's, maybe you've been in that season like I've been in before where I'm kind of, my walk isn't as close, so I'm kind of indifferent. I I don't want to say I'm indifferent, but I don't think about people's spiritual condition. But as I begin to follow him closer and closer, then he begins to make me aware of that. Not to judge them, but to introduce them, to invite them to Jesus. Or maybe God will bring somebody up in your mind right now that's in your life that just needs you to cover them in prayer as they reconnect in their walk with him. Let's just spend a moment with God.